Welcome back to the Axiom Youth Podcast. This lesson is being taught by Brother Jared Turner, and it's entitled The Problem of Pain, Part 1. This is the beginning of a new series called Spell It Out. We ask the youth to submit questions. These lessons are based off the questions that they submitted. We hope you enjoy. Thank you for tuning in. As long as it lasts, it may go a couple months even, but you won't notice it because it'll be totally different topics. So you don't think that you're going to get bored and that we're going to talk about the same thing over and over again. Um, but we're going to just really spell things out for you. Okay, we want to give you just solid evidence as to why we think the way that we do. Why do we believe the way that we do? Because when me and Sister Nikki were reviewing the questions, it really hit us really hard. And I'm going to share them with uh, Brother Thomas and Sister Hannah, but it, it, I'm sure they'll feel the same way. But it really hit us very, very hard about all the questions that you have and the things that some of you are struggling with that are very deep, very real, and things that maybe we had taken for granted that you already knew. And that's okay. That's the purpose of the church. That's the purpose of a youth group. That's the purpose of a youth class is to address questions there are no stupid questions right if you don't know why we do something if you don't know why something is wrong then we want to address it and here, here's the thing that we're going to talk about in this in this series it's the big questions like why do we believe the bible because it's it, if you don't really know why we believe the bible and if you don't have confidence in the bible then me reading you a scripture is meaningless to you does that make sense? It's, it's meaningless to you if you don't understand why we should even give any reference to this. And I understand that we are Pentecostals, and so many of you have been baptized in Jesus' name and filled with the power of the Holy Ghost. And the evidence of the Spirit is really, if I'm being honest, the strongest evidence that you have that God is real and that His Word is true is when you are filled with the power of His Spirit. But that does not mean that you shut your brain off and you check your brain at the door and that you switch your brain for the Holy Ghost. Because this is the truth and it can be defended. There are some real objections to Christianity that on the surface seem very, very valid. And we want to address those. So I'm going to start off with a two-part series, and this first one is just going to be an introduction to the topic, and then I'm going to get more in detail next week because it was such a serious question. And I, the first time I reviewed the questions, I had actually overlooked it, and Sister Nikki found it last night, and it really hit us really in the heart because it is a very valid question that one of you are dealing with, and it's the problem of pain. The problem of pain. So the question, without giving you all the details, goes something like this. How can I believe in God if something very tragic has happened to me as a child? A, a deep tragedy. I'm not talking about you get a bad grade on a test. And that's painful. And I, and I don't talk about I'm not talking about like the, the girl you have a crush on kind of dishes you at lunch. Now, I know that to, to middle school and high school, that, that can be real pain. I'm not, I'm not discounting that pain. And, 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 and really, my experience as a teenager, that's the kind of pain I went through, right? It's just my friends were a little mean to me. 
or, you know, I didn't get the grade that I wanted or somebody was rude or, or you know, some just disappointments that just kind of come with being uh, having a very blessed life, living in a two-parent home, growing up in church. But it really hit home that there are young people, maybe that even have grown up in church, that that's not their experience of pain. There are young people that before they reach eight or nine years old, they have experienced deep betrayal, deep abuse, pain that shakes their world, abandonment that hurts so much that somebody that they loved and trusted could turn on them and betray them, shakes them to their core. And that person has the question, well, why should I even believe in God? Why should I even believe in God, a God that would allow this to happen to me? And see, the worst thing that I could do as a youth pastor is just to open up Romans and read the verse that says, well, all things work together for good to them that love God and say, well, that's going to work out for the good. Because you know what? That doesn't feel like the truth. Because you're thinking nothing good can come out of this. See, I'm, so that's what I want us to be sensitive to because... And that, that's why we've got to be kind to one another and patient with one another, because while some of us may have a very charmed existence and, and, and that's good and that's that comes from the blessings of God on a family. And that's not bad. That's where I come from. We can't forget that young people that you invite to church or even young people that seem to have everything together that are sitting next to you may be going through something that would make a scripture like that in Romans seem so ridiculous. Because how could you say something good is going to come out of something that is unequivocally evil? That is ridiculously perverted or twisted or harmful. There can be nothing good that comes out of this. And that's really how people can feel. So we want to go down to the root of the issue and, and talk about the problem of pain because I have heard it before. And if, if you never really deal with this early on and you never really allow the Lord to work on you on this problem, if you have not dealt with severe pain in your life, you're going to run into somebody that has. And you're going to run into somebody that does not believe that will hold on to their unbelief because of this tragedy, because of this pain. And they will say, I am not going to believe in God because if you, the God that you serve is really all powerful and he is really good, then he would not have allowed this to happen. Now, how do you answer that? That's a hard question. That's a good question to ask because that's the reality of the world that we live in. We're not just all cookie cut gingerbread people out there. There's different experiences. People have different upbringings, different raisings, and there are people that go through real pain and real hurt at a very young age. And even no matter what age you are, real betrayal, real hurt, real sin that is, affects your life, it, it will shake you. And it, if you're not careful, it can shake your belief in God. It can shake your belief in in his word. So I'm not going to read a scripture today because this question comes really before scripture. Because if people don't believe in God, they're really not going to believe in his word. 
So we're we're next week we're going to get into more of the kind of more of the how to handle not really how to handle because there's no real steps how to handle deep pain but kind of how to take it to God and how God can kind of work through that but this week I, I want to just kind of start with the the philosophical argument to kind of equip you if you ever come across that question I don't want you to be tripped up in your faith because somebody who is deeply hurt comes and says, I'm not going to believe in your God because he allowed this to happen to me. Because he allowed this abuse, this pain, this betrayal. And if God was really good and he created good things, he would have kept me from this pain. The world really is a cold, dark place. You know, that, that kind of attitude, that kind of spirit. And it's, it's a real thing. It's not, it's not a bad attitude, like in terms of rebellion. It's, it can be a real pain that people feel. And we as Christians, Peter talks about being ready to give an, a, a reason for the hope that lies within you. So that moment, not all moments are created equal. In a moment when you get a question like that, and if you really want to get on the front lines of this thing and start witnessing and start being a good example to your friends, you're going to get that question. And that moment is not all moments are created equal. And that moment is one of them that is not equal to every other moment. And how you respond in that can really make a difference to where people can see the hope that lies within you. So I want you to be equipped and I want you to be ready. So I want you to think of it this way. Christianity, the, the idea of God creating the universe, does not really have an answer to the problem of pain. I want you to, I want you to let that settle because I'm not going where, maybe where you think I'm going. Christianity really doesn't have an answer to the problem of pain. There is no one sentence answer to the problem of pain there's no statement that you can say as to this is why God allows this you you cannot say that because you really do not know why God does what he does so you as a Christian can't say well this is the reason I remember, and I've talked about them before. They're very, very inspiring to me. They were uh, a young couple on my youth team. So they were, they're about five, six, seven years older than myself. And they, when I was in college, they lost their two-year-old daughter to a, some sort of virus that took her life within eight hours. I think it was eight or 16. I was, it was under a day. She was perfectly healthy in the afternoon, went to the emergency room in the evening, and by, before the next morning, she was gone. And so that was a very, very painful time in our church, and I can't even imagine for them and their family. And I remember that the, they're just a great couple. The, the young man, his parents got a divorce, and his dad, who was raising him, moved to, to Florida and he wanted to stay at our church and go to our Christian school because he saw that that was like the best way for him to make it in church. And he was 16 years old. And so he found a, on his own, he found a family in the church that would allow him to live with them. He got a job and he worked his way through high school. 
so that he could go to our Christian school. And then the young lady was a new convert that somebody had witnessed to at school, brought to church. She had been filled with the Holy Ghost, baptized in Jesus' name. They got married, became really stable in the church, joined the youth team, and had this baby. And then it was their only child at the time. And when she passed away, it was just incredibly difficult. Well, because of their upbringing, because of... Um, the mother's upbringing, her family was not in church. So her mom was, of course, very, very devastated at the fact that this baby had passed away. And so they began to talk to her. Even in their grief, they began to talk to her about the hope that we have in heaven and the hope that we have in eternal life and and she made up her mind that if, if this is what I have to do to see my grandchild again, I will do it. And she was baptized in Jesus' name and filled with the Holy Ghost and began coming to our church. Now, on to us, right, who it was not our child. You could kind of say from an outsider perspective that God used the pain to bring someone into right relationship with him. But you, let me just say why that's not an answer. Because if you were the one that was so broken and so hurt, you would say God could have done it without taking my child because he's all powerful. God didn't have to put me through this pain so that this good thing would happen. That, and, and, and a lot of people deeply offended them because they made those kind of statements to them. Well, praise God, something good came out of it. And they said, well, something good did come out of it, but... It doesn't take away the pain. It doesn't take away that kind of, that problem of pain. It doesn't, it doesn't make it heal. So there is no question. I mean, there is no answer, really. There's no simple answer. You can say, well, that happened for this reason. You can say, well, that, what, that pain allowed this thing to happen, perhaps. But you can't say that without this, this wouldn't have happened. You just don't know. So that's not an answer. So here, here's what I want to say, though. And here's, here's where we, you have to begin, okay, when you're dealing with somebody that has this kind of question in their life. Christianity does not answer the problem of pain, but it does create the problem of pain. I want you to think about that for a minute. It does not answer the problem of pain. It creates the problem of pain. What do you mean, Brother Jerry? I mean that if the world was just a material place, if it was just a dark and cold and heartless place that materialists, evolutionists tell us that it is, then there would be no problem with being in pain. That would mean we would know no other existence than pain. It would mean that being hurt or abandoned would be par for the course and we wouldn't think anything about it when somebody walked out of our life or when somebody abused us. It would not be a problem. We wouldn't even hardly feel it. Because we would just be some sort of material 
thing and that would just be part of what happens in life. So the very fact that people ask the question, why is this happening to me? Because they feel that things are unjust or because they feel like things are wrong. That is a testimony that there is a God that has created them to know that this is not right. That there's something created within them that they know that whatever happened to me was not right. Without God, without the truth of the fact that you were created, then there would not even be a problem of pain. Does that make sense? People wouldn't even be able to ask that question. That pain is even really something that needs to be pushed away or that, that wrong is something that even needs to be shunned or that justice is anything that needs to be sought. Because there would, that would just be par for the course. That would just be what happens in a life, in a world, in a system that was truly created by random chance without God. But the fact that you are even asking that question means that God is involved in your life somewhere. So how do you answer? Well, is God all-powerful? Is God all-powerful? What's the answer? So could God stop bad things from happening? Yeah. He could. It's, it's within the realm of possibility. But we need to... I want, I want you to think about that for all things are possible. How many have ever heard that in the Bible? All things are possible to them that... Love God are called according to his purpose. But how many have ever heard that little kind of silly phrase, can God make a rock so big that he cannot pick it up? How many have ever heard that before? A couple of, a couple of you. Now, what's, what's the answer to that? Can God make, make a rock so big that he cannot pick it up? No, are well, you saying God has had a limited power? He's all powerful. But then he's not all powerful because he can't pick it up. No, I'm just teasing you. Because that is, that, that is nonsense. Okay? Right? It, it's a self-contradictory statement. And it is nonsense. So just because you put God's name in front of it doesn't make nonsense sense. Doesn't mean that it's going to work out. Right. So that that is just a silly question that can be dismissed, because when when it says that all things are possible to God, when we understand that God can do anything, it means it can do anything within the realm of possibility. Now, his realm of possibility is much bigger than your realm of possibility. But there are some things that are just nonsense. There are some things that self-contradict each other. Right. And you, we can we can play all kinds of mind games and go all kinds of into philosophy of that kind of like rock so big that he can't pick it up and all this. And it's just stupid and it doesn't help anybody get anywhere and it doesn't even touch the truth. So what I'm saying is, is that there is one thing that God has created. And that is he created you with free will. And because God created you with free will then there are other things that he has limited his ability in because he wanted to give you free will. So it's partially 
things can be in God's will and not in God's will at the same time. Now, what do you mean? Here's an example that C.S. Lewis gives. Here's, here's an example that C.S. Lewis gives. How many, have ever, how many have ever had your mom tell you that you're going to have to clean your room on your own without help from her? Or maybe, like my mom told me when I was a teenager, I'm not going to do your laundry anymore. You are going to do it yourself, right? I'm not going to check up on you. If you want clean clothes, you're going to have to do it yourself. I want you to get the laundry done. Now, now, what happens when you, you get instructions like that, right, where you're more in control, and she said, I want your room clean, but I'm not going to tell you when to do it. Right? She's, that, the mom is giving you free will. Right? It is her will that you have some freedom to make choices on your own. So then is she responsible for the mess that your room is in? Well, sort of, because it's her house. And she doesn't have to. She could force you. March you in there and say, clean up this room. There are ants eating an old Taco Bell taco underneath your bed. This is ridiculous. Clean up your room, right? I'm getting the scraper. You're going to scrape the floors, you know, with all this food you've got in here. And we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna spend all day doing laundry because you haven't done it in six months. You've been re-wearing and re-wearing. And your stuff stands up on its own, right? You know what I mean? So, so you could say that it was your mom's will for your room to go to filth. But really, it wasn't her will. But it was her will that you had the option and the choice. to, Because there was a greater purpose to get you to do what was right on your own. So there were some things that were allowed that were partially in the will of the parent that was not really in their greater plan because of your freedom. So God gives people freedom. And we live in a material world that is fixed. God fixes things, right? We're pretty sure that if you take a club and hit somebody over the head with it, even if you have bad intentions, that wood is still going to be wood and it's still going to crack their skull. Now, God could do a miracle and turn that wood into water as soon as you smack them on the head and they just get really wet. But that's not the world that we live in because God created a fixed material world and He put us in it and He gave us free will to choose things. He gave us the ability to do evil. Because if he gave us the ability to do good, the ability to do evil has to be present. Or else there is no good. Or else there is no free will. Or else we are all just robots. Does that make sense? Because without both options available, then the good option is not even present. So because God created us with free will, that creates the opportunity for there to be people that take their free will and do things that God does not like. Do things that God hates. And you people, and, and so if you're from the outside looking in, you can say, God allowed it. Well, yes, God allowed it the same way He allowed you to tell a lie to your mom. 
The same way he allowed you to be mean to your brother or your sister. And he didn't stop the brain waves from forming when you started thinking an evil thought. Right? The same way that he allowed you to, to be mean and cruel to somebody in the lunchroom and at school. So because God gives you free will, others have free will. And that can create a mess of problems. Because the Bible says that we are formed in sin, shaped in iniquity. Meaning you just have a propensity for selfishness. Meaning you don't have to teach a little kid to be selfish. What do you have to teach little kids to do? Share. Right? Uh, uh, Jimmy, you need to be a little more selfish. You, you know, you're, you're being too sweet to your sister. It's really getting kind of sickening. You need to give her a good punch in the face when she tries to take your toy next time. You know, I mean, you just, I don't, you don't hear parents talking about that. Why? Because we kind of come out knowing like we figure out pretty quick, this is mine and what's mine is not yours. And when you try to take mine, I have one of these and it works really well. Right. You know, I mean, we just kind of figure that out. So it can create a bunch of problems. But this is the reason why Jesus came into the world. This is why Christianity works. This is why materialism does not work. Because what happens in a human heart when somebody takes your stuff? There's a cry out of this is unjust. What happens when you are abused? There's a cry out, this is wrong. This is broken. This makes me feel a certain way that this is not just normal life. But if all there was was material things and there was no soul and there was nothing down inside of you that screamed of righteousness and peace and love and a desire for those good things, then when abuse or something walked out happened on you, that would just be life and you could just move on because that's just life. I mean, the animal kingdom is, if you, if you do any study, the animal kingdom, they're not very kind to their young. The fathers will eat their children. So the moms have to protect the children from like bears. Polar bears will eat the cubs. Their own fathers will. I mean, it's just bizarre. It's just the way life is. It's just a natural process of just selfishness. Right? And that's not a problem in the animal kingdom. But see what happens when you're abandoned and you're walked out on by a parent and when in God's economy, something breaks inside of your heart and you say, this isn't right. This doesn't feel right. This, there's something wrong with this picture. How could God allow this? Well, God allowed it the same way he allows you to make mistakes and he allows you to hurt people is that you have free will. You have a, a choice to make, and so does everybody else. And those choices bump into other people very often. It's very hard to make a decision against God and not affect somebody else. Your life will affect somebody else. When you sin, when you lie, when you enter into a, a relationship that you should not be in, it affects another person. You do not live in a vacuum, but we live together and connected. So sin hurts other people. And it hurts other people very, very deeply. So that's why Jesus came. See, you've got to build this thing from the ground up. And you've got to start walking people through and say, well, exactly why do you feel that way? Why do you feel like this is unfair or unjust or not? you're not right? Because God created in you a soul. God created in you a living being. 
that's more than just the material of your flesh and your bone, but there's something deep inside of you that says, I long for another world, a world where there is no pain, a world where there is no disappointment, a world where there is no betrayal, a world where someone cannot come in and wreck my life and hurt me in such a way. I live for a different world. That, that, that longing inside of a human heart was created by God. Because without Him, there would be no problem with pain at all. So the problem of pain is not really answered in some sort of simplistic way by Christianity. It's created by it. Its very existence points to the truth that God is your creator. And it points to the fact that everyone needs a redeemer. Everyone needs a redeemer. What, what does the word redeem mean? What does the word redeem mean? Anybody know? Anybody have a guess? Anybody want to make a guess? Even if you don't think it's a very good guess. Let me catch up on your vocabulary. Do, do they still do vocabulary? In school? Oh, my word, that's a shame. You know how you can, you can catch up on your vocabulary by reading. Reading is one of the greatest ways to increase your vocabulary. And reading the King James Bible is a great way to increase your vocabulary because there's a lot of words in there you probably don't know. And you can look them up and not just memorize them and quote them out and not know what they mean because this is a good word. Redeem. How many have ever been on Amazon? How many have ever shopped on Amazon? Yeah, redeem the code, right? How many want to redeem a gift card or whatever? How many have ever seen that, right? I've seen that on the Internet. We're going to redeem this gift card. We're going to turn something that is intrinsically worthless, right? That little plastic card. How much is a plastic card worth? It's free at McDonald's. I mean, just it probably got a couple of cents to create it just a couple pennies worth of plastic. But when you enter that code in there and you redeem it, it becomes whatever the value, face value of it is on that website. It has real monetary value. It has a real $25 value. It was a two-cent card, but when you redeemed it, 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 that's really what its purpose was. Now, you could use it for other things, right? You could take that, that card out and you could maybe break into a house. You know, when you, have you ever seen where you can, like, pop a lock with a credit card? You know, and you, you put it down in there and you just kind of... we. I, we uh, we had a youth room at my old church, and the foosball table was under lock and key. And so if we got there before the, the guy with the key, we would just pop the lock with the credit card. I, I, I never could figure it out, but my, my friends knew how to do it, and they kept a special credit card or a little gift card that was unusable because it would get all bent up, and they'd just pop that lock, and we'd go in and play foosball. So you can use a little plastic card for other things. You could, uh, I don't know, you could throw it at somebody. You could, you could... I don't know what else you could do. You could scrape stuff with it. or I, I mean, I mean, you've ever, if you live in Arkansas and you don't have an ice scraper in your car, and then one day you come out, if you're a driver, and there's ice, ice on your windshield, and you got to get out the, the, the credit card of shame, you know, like I'm woefully unprepared. So you can use it as an ice scraper. It's not a very good ice scraper. But it's the purpose of those little cards, right, like a gift card, is 
They have to be redeemed before they're worth anything. And you get something for the worthlessness of that card when you redeem it. I know it's just kind of a silly example, but since nobody knew what the word redeem meant, we had to work with it. Because that's what Jesus came to do. He, you can use your life for all these little reasons, right? You can, but you have infinite value if you are redeemed. And if, if you are redeemed, then that's the meaning and purpose of your life realized. So when the problem of pain is really answered, not in some simplistic way, but it's really answered through the act of redemption. Because no matter how charmed your life is, you still need to be redeemed. No matter how pretty your life looks on the outside or how broken and abused and cracked your life is, you still need to be redeemed. And so sometimes, I'm not saying every time, and, I, and I'm not saying I know why God allows certain things and why bad things happen all the time. But there is a principle in the Bible where it says that it is easier for a camel to pass through an eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of God. So sometimes your benefits that you have will be a disadvantage to you to follow after God, where sometimes people who are broken and who have nothing are more open to feeling the love and the presence of God, and they're more ready to be redeemed because they say, I know that my life is a mess because this and this and this has happened to me, so I know that I need a redeemer, whereas people that have everything all together may say, I don't really need God. And then they will be the ones that lose out. So the, re the problem of pain is created by God. It's created by Him just by the very sake that He exists and that He is love and that He is joy and that He is hope and that He is peace and that He gave you freedom and you cannot get to hope and love and peace on the choices that you make on your own. And life's broken and that's when you say, I need a Redeemer. And guess what? Jesus has already come. The Redeemer is already in place for you. Does that make sense? The problem of pain is created by God. The problem of pain is created by God. Now, if we, you get into reasons, right? The book of, that's what the book of Job teaches us. When you get into reasons why God does certain things, you, you'll get off really quickly because your mind is not capable of understanding the reasoning of God. You could make a guess. You could, this seems like it, but you can't say for sure, this is why God did this. And I know it for sure. Because God does what God does on his own. But the fact that there is pain in the world does not mean that it is illogical or stupid to believe in God. Because without him, there would be even no recognition that this is wrong that this doesn't work, that there's something better out there. Most everybody feels like there's something better for me than this. Why? Because they're created in the image of God. All right, I want you to bow your head. I'm finished. God, I thank you, Lord, for this time together. Lord, and I pray that you would help us over the next few weeks, God, as we endeavor to answer these questions, as we endeavor, Lord, to teach from your word. I pray that you would help us God, I pray for those that are hurting and those that are broken in here in this place or in our youth group or one young people that will come this year to our youth services. 
I pray that this would be a place, God, where they can experience your healing. And God, I pray that you would equip every one of these young people in this room to be witnesses unto you. And when they look at somebody from across a lunch table or in the hallway that is so hurt and so bitter and so broken by the pain that's in their life, I pray, Lord, that the power of the Spirit would shine forth out of these young people and that they would be able under the power of the Holy Ghost to give an answer for the hope that lies within them and point that young person to their Redeemer where this broken life can be redeemed. And God, I pray that you would touch and that you would help this youth group position us to be used by you in this last day. And God, we give you praise and we give you glory in Jesus' name. Amen.